0: When a pastor says, oh, we're to follow Jesus in baptism, it makes me cringe because we don't follow Jesus in baptism. His baptism was totally unique. His baptism was a symbol of what he would endure on the cross as the sacrificial lamb of God. It would be a symbol of his death, burial, and resurrection, which he as the lamb of God would do to fulfill all righteousness.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogi, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, John the Baptist, part of our larger study of the Gospel of John, which we began a couple of weeks ago. As Pastor Carl concludes today's message, he notes that John was called to prepare the way of the Lord, but this responsibility belongs to all who call themselves children of God. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he begins.
0: Now, understand if you've been saved, if you're genuinely saved, then you've been commissioned by Jesus Christ to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Implication if you're not fishing for men, you're not following Christ. Don't think you're spiritual if you're not fishing for men because you're not. You may be self deluded, but you're not spiritual. Understand that if God has saved you, He has called you, He has commissioned you. Now, I understand that there are some who have gifts in evangelism. There are a variety of gifts in the Bible. There's gifts of serving and, and administration and mercy and teaching and It helps in evangelism. And you may not have the gift of evangelism, but God has called you to do the work of an evangelist. And you may be here this morning, and you do not uh, really experience as a way of life a specific gifting where you seem to have that touch of God to help people cross the line over into the kingdom of God. But God nonetheless wants to use you in this process of evangelism. You can help prepare the way of the Lord, maybe in a different way. It might be in trying to sort out what it is that's keeping and blocking a person from coming to Christ. I've learned over the years that some of the most effective people in the work of evangelism are Christians who are just good listeners. Christians who are willing to listen to lost people. Believers who are willing to find out why it is that this lost person does not see their need for Christ. Maybe they went to a church where there was a huge scandal and they were totally turned off and that needs to be brought into perspective. Or maybe there was some tragedy that took place in their family and they thought, where was God in this? Or maybe they have gone through intense suffering and they don't know how God and Christianity really fits into all of this. Or maybe there's some moral block And they are in the throes of sin that they don't really think is all that bad. There are all kinds of blocks that people have. And God very often wants to prepare the way for the coming of the king into their life. But people who will basically listen and speak to them. Whereby the spirit of God can use you to help open their ears that are stopped and to help their eyes to see that are blind. And so like John the Baptist, in many ways, God would use us to prepare the way for the Lord. Now, if you remember when he sent the 70 out, it's recorded in Luke 10. Remember what he said? I want you to go out and I want you to preach a a message of repentance. And he sent him to those places that Luke said, quote, he himself was going to come. That's exactly what John the Baptist did we find those 70 going out and preparing the way for those cities in which the Lord Jesus was going to come. And so we as God's people need to be discerning and we need to try to understand where are people in their journey with God? Where are they in their pilgrimage with the Lord? Maybe they're going in the opposite direction. Maybe they're just apathetic and they could care less. Maybe they are full of honest, sincere questions and they just need someone to help answer them. We can listen to them. We can dialogue with them. We can pray for them. Hey, listen, I have a split personality when I share the gospel. Half of me is praying. Half of of me is sharing. I've learned to do that over the years as I share Christ, Lord Jesus. Open their ears. Help them to see who you are and their need to receive you. You see, my job is simply to allow God to use me to prepare the way for the Lord so that He can come in and be their Savior. Now, too often, I have witnessed evangelists who have moved people emotionally but not spiritually. Years ago, I was really struck with this reality because we had a speaker who was traveling the circles in which I was working on the university campuses. And I mean, we saw decisions when that evangelist came in like we had never seen. The aisles were absolutely packed. But when the dust was all gone, so weren't the decisions. You see, what he had was a bunch of decisions, but not disciples. And you can move a person emotionally. And not necessarily move them spiritually. And there's so much Christian gimmickry in our day. I've seen all kinds of techniques to get people down an aisle. But only God can move someone into the kingdom of God. It's not enough simply to pray prayers and say, okay, you prayed the prayer you're in. They may not be in. Our job is not to convert people. Only the Spirit of God can convert someone, but our job is to prepare the way of the Lord so the Spirit of God can come and open their hearts that they might respond in genuine faith. Some of us might be involved in planting seeds. Some of us might be involved in watering the seed. Some of us might be involved in harvesting the seed. But as Paul said, the one who plants and the one who waters ain't anything but God who gives the increase. John had that perspective. Now, please note verse 26. John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. The menial task of untying the thong of someone's dirty, smelly sandal was the job of a slave. It was a job exclusively, typically, for a slave. But here John, the greatest and the last of all of the prophets of the Old Testament, this one who's so enamored with the Messiah, when he thinks of him, he said, I am not even worthy to untie his shoe. Now ponder that. Is that how you feel about Jesus Christ? I find that tremendously convicting because sometimes I begrudge some of the pressures I find myself under in the ministry. Even yesterday. And I typically get up very early on Saturday morning and try to get my work done by 2 or 3 so I can get out and cut the lawn or do something with the kids and the wife. And Yesterday it was 10 o'clock and I was still there in the study. And unless it's in perspective... Unless I am able to see it like God sees it, that whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you do unto me, then we will miss the privilege of ministry. That the Lord whom we serve is so great and so awesome. It is a privilege to serve Him as we serve His people. That's the perspective that John the Baptist has. That it's the most priceless, privileged opportunity to serve the Son of God. Now we can learn from John the Baptist that our task is not to point people to ourselves, but to the Lord Jesus. And we live in a day when Christianity is such that if someone wants to become a somebody or a something, they can use it to make it happen. We are in great danger today in this Christian pop environment and in this day of media preachers of doing that. Without giving any specific details, in the last year I was in a Christian meeting of sorts where one of the persons on the platform did such a marvelous, wonderful job in uplifting the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there was another person, and without even having to judge their motive, it was so obvious. All they did was call attention to themselves. It's almost like a parable in itself. I would ask you this morning, are you the kind of person who wants people to go away saying, Isn't the Lord Jesus Christ wonderful? Or are you the kind that would have people saying, Aren't you a wonderful preacher? Aren't you a tremendous singer? Aren't you a creative author or leader or evangelist, musician, or whatever else you can think of? Where do your gifts point people? Are you like John the Baptist? Listen. God can only honor those who will uplift him. The prophet said, My glory I will not share with another, God speaking. And I am reminded from this passage of Scripture that we need to stop other people from exalting themselves. And I am reminded from this passage of Scripture that God cannot honor the person who exalts himself because all in essence he does is create the pomposity of that person. And we live in a day where we've got basically cult worship, it appears, even in evangelicalism. Oh, he's my hero. That's not right. If you know my heart, it's my desire that all of us, whether we are the preacher or the teacher or heading a ministry or singing a song or playing the instrument or whatever else we may do in this church, that we uplift the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone deserves to be uplifted. Now that doesn't mean that we don't encourage other people. The Bible commands us to encourage other people. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another day after day as long as it's called today. Likewise, Hebrews 10, consider how to stimulate, how to encourage one another to love and good deeds. And so we are to encourage the brethren. And when we are encouraged, we are not to have a false sense of modesty. Someone says to you, oh, brother, thank you for your ministry in my life. It meant so much to me. You say, oh, it wasn't me, it was God. How pious. No, it wasn't God. It was you. It was God using you, God's spirit ministering through you, you humbling yourself before God in prayer and seeking the Lord and walking by faith. That's why someday God is going to reward you. So on the one hand, you know you are what you are by the grace of God and you can say praise the Lord, but you can also say thank you so much for your encouragement. Now, the apostle adds a footnote, and it's not significant to us today, but it's very important. We'll look at it next week. Verse 28, these things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, that's the first day that's recorded here from John the Baptist's life that this gospel writes of. Now, with that, let's consider not just the questions that are asked, but finally and quickly here, the questions that are answered. And really, all of the questions that have been asked up to this point are answered in John's announcement and in John's acknowledgement. First, the announcement of John. Look at verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who, take away, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, let me just put this second day in the context of the rest of the Gospels. If you study the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you discover that about six weeks prior to this, Statement John the Baptist baptized the Lord Jesus in the Jordan. And in case you're interested, Christ's baptism is different from ours. When a pastor says, Oh, we're to follow Jesus in baptism, it makes me cringe because we don't follow Jesus in baptism. His baptism was totally unique. His baptism was a symbol of what he would endure on the cross as the sacrificial lamb of God. It would be a symbol of his death, burial, and resurrection, which he as the lamb of God would do to fulfill all righteousness. But six weeks earlier, John the Baptist baptized him. And if you remember after that, what did he do? He went into the wilderness for 40 days... And so about six weeks later, maybe he had a couple days, you know, to recover from that fast. I don't know. But about six weeks later, he comes and John makes this announcement. Now, up till this time, John hasn't made an announcement where he said, this is the Christ. It's been the Christ is coming. Prepare yourself for him. Now, on the day before, the the delegation had questioned him. I hope you recognize that he said, I'm just a voice. But now all ambiguity is over. All doubt is removed. And he very clearly points out who the Messiah is. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, the people of Israel, of all people, were familiar with the sacrificial lambs. Every family, every year on Passover, would take a lamb. And for their family, they were to offer it during the Passover. But those lambs were brought by men to man. This lamb is brought by God for man. Those lambs could never take away sin. The Lamb of God could take away their sin. Those lambs were just for the people of Israel. His blood was for that of the whole world. And so, in one sense, the whole message of the Bible can be summed up in this title, The Lamb of God. The probing great question of the Old Testament that Isaac himself voices there on Mount Moriah, Mount Calvary, is where is the Lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide himself a Lamb. And indeed, that was fulfilled here when John says, Here he is. Behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Now, as we can see from some of the statements that we've read here in John 1, there's a number of days that are being covered, and we'll look at it more specifically when we come to the second chapter, but it's very significant the time frame in which he makes this announcement. It's just a few days away from Passover people from all over Israel, even outside of Israel, as we learn from the Acts, would come once a year to Jerusalem to bring their sacrificial Passover lambs to the priests. There may have been some bleeding in the background for all we know, but it's at that time of year when people considered Passover. Now some of you are new to the Bible, but if you read the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 12, you discover that they celebrated Passover in honor of God's deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt. And so on that horrible night, when the avenger, I think you can rightly call him the death angel, when he came through Egypt, he would take the firstborn of every family, unless, of course, they had an unblemished lamb. Couldn't use any old kind of lamb but a perfect kind of lamb. And they would take the blood of it and put it on the doorpost of the lintel, making the sign of a Roman cross. And God would pass over in judgment upon that family. And so when John the Baptist says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, every Jew who knew the Old Testament scripture understood this vivid imagery. And of course, he would take away the sin of the world. This message was not just for Israel. Our gospel is not just for Americans. It's not just for Europeans or Africans or Chinese or Slavic or people from India. He made a sacrifice on behalf of the whole world. And it's very important because we need to point men today to Christ as the Lamb. Many, especially in our culture, understand He's the Son of God. But what they do not understand is that He is the sinless, perfect, unblemished Lamb who came to die for their sins. And so we need to point men to the Lamb of God. That's His announcement. Finally, as we close, notice the acknowledgement that John makes. Verse 30. This is He... On behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I. For he existed before me. Again, an acknowledgement of his deity as we studied in the last two weeks. John born six months before the Lord Jesus affirmed that the Lord Jesus was preexistent. Why? Because he never had a beginning or end. He is the Lord God. God made flesh. But with that acknowledgement comes an admission. Look at verse 31. And I did not recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John bore witness saying, I have beheld the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained upon him and I did not recognize him. But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Twice over, the Baptist says, I did not recognize him. Literally, I knew him not. Now, the day before, I don't know if you caught it in verse 26, when that delegation came from the Pharisees, John the Baptist says, one in your midst is he, but you don't know him. Didn't announce him that day, waited the next day. But he says, you don't know him. He's in your midst, but you don't know him. And John uses that same word to describe his own ignorance. I didn't recognize him. Twice over, he says it. What do you mean you didn't recognize him? He was your cousin. I don't understand. Well, certainly he recognized him in his womb in one sense. If you remember, when Mary met Elizabeth... The Holy Spirit came upon John the Baptist. He doesn't come upon things or pieces of flesh, but upon people and babies, because those are babies in the womb. And he came upon John the Baptist, and he kicked Elizabeth in the stomach. But how much do you remember when you were in your mother's womb? And remember, this man for years had lived in the wilderness. He may not have seen Christ for years. Um, there was a time in my life when I hadn't seen one of my brothers for years. And then I saw him, and it's like, I hardly recognized him. He had totally changed in his facial features and, and so much. It's not an issue that he didn't know who the Lord Jesus was. I think he recognized him in that sense. But he didn't know whether or not he was the promised Messiah. He had not a single ministry yet, a miracle yet to affirm that he was Messiah. And so God spoke to John weeks before and he said, "In this crowd that you're baptizing, one of these persons that you are going to baptize After you baptize him, the Spirit of God is going to descend upon him. Now, he didn't say how he was going to show that manifestation, but John's out there one day, and the Lord Jesus comes, and he baptizes him, and when he brings him up, the Spirit of God, as a dove comes out of heaven and remains upon him, and there was no doubt in his mind, God said to John, He is the one. And so now, six weeks later, He comes and John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John says to all of his listeners, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Two questions by application as we close. Two questions I would ask you as I've asked myself. Number one, how do you present Christ to a lost world? How do you present Christ to a lost world? Here's John the Baptist. He's enamored with the person of Christ. In John 15, he says, He has a higher rank than me. He existed before me. He's saying He's King. Give your allegiance to Him. But not only is He King, He is Redeemer. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You need Him to save you. And He's the Son of God. You need to bow down before Him john recognized him as god as lord as king as a redeemer and he says i'm not even worthy to untie his thong is that how you see christ is that how you present him to the lost people of this world john knew to serve christ was the greatest privileges of all privileges but how different is modern evangelism presenting christ there's a certain flippancy among Christians in the way they present Christ today to a lost world. Christians take the approach, well, I've got this friend called Jesus. But it's not balanced with a sense of awe and wonder and submission that His person deserves and demands. Listen, if you've been saved by the grace of God, when you step into heaven and you see the Lord Jesus, you won't say, hey, this is my buddy Jesus. You will fall on your face before Him. And with the multitudes in heaven, you will say, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. We'll sing through all of eternity, Crown Him with many crowns, the Lamb upon His throne. How do you present this one to a lost world? And then I would simply ask you, Has Christ baptized you with the Holy Spirit? John said, I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. John is saying there's no comparison between my baptism and his. I baptize with water with a view to repentance. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit with a view towards life. The contrast is colossal. And so today, a water baptism is just the outward sign of spirit baptism. But if you haven't had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, your water baptism is worthless. It means nothing to God. Jesus said twice over and three times, actually in John 3, you must be born twice to enter the kingdom of God. You have to have spirit baptism. And it happens when you come humbly to Christ, and you embrace Him as your Lord and King. Shall we stand for prayer? Our Father, we bless you today for the Word made flesh. For the one who dwelt among us, we beheld His glory. said, glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you for the forerunner, John the Baptist. No one born among women greater than him. But then you went on to say that he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Because those of us, unlike John, who have met you through the Holy Spirit's baptism, have a level of relationship that no Old Testament saint could experience. And we bless you for that today, that the Spirit would bear witness with our human spirit that we've become children of God. Now, Father, I know we live in a day when your son is so misrepresented to the lost of this world, and so many who think that they can somehow just embrace him as Savior and ignore him as Lord. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? Do you see him as the one whose sandal you are not even fit to untie? Many will say, Lord, Lord, they'll identify with him as born again people, but he will say to them, I never knew you, depart from me. True conversions don't melt away. True conversions persevere, the Bible teaches. And you cannot have him as Savior until you embrace him as Lord. Have you ever done that? Has there ever been a point in your life when you've invited him to be your king? He will not become your savior if you ignore him as your master. Thank you, Father, for the promise that whoever will call upon his name will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved. Maybe today you've seen him as John saw him And you're saying, I want to be forgiven and saved. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. Would you, in simple faith, say, Lord Jesus, save me? Father, I know in many ways that this is a message for your church, for us who know you. Help us to learn from John, help us to be men and women. It would point people to the Savior who would lift Him up above all else. And we ask this for the honor of His name.
1: Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program John 003. Don't forget that tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. You can hear more of Audrey's messages on the Search the Scriptures app found on the iTunes and Google Play Store. Also, check out Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real, on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. You can also listen to her podcast at searchthescriptures.org. We hope that you will join us next week Monday as we continue to Search the Scriptures.